So I've been touching into the theme of dependent origination, dependent arising or codependent arising the last few sessions and uh, obviously it's uh, quite a, can be quite a complex topic but I'd like to retain some pragmatic simplicity about this. Um, also to remind you it's not fatalistic. Yeah. Now it's kind of potential so the fundamental statement is when there is ignorance then certain habitual activations start happening when there is ignorance Whether, when the chitta is ignorant when it's blocked when it's occluded when it's out of touch with Dhamma without a, then certain reactive you could say once again reactive tendencies start cooking and they throw us out into the world of external reality, so-called external reality, or, or divided reality, me and it. And then the names and appearances start, appearances and uh, behaviours start happening. And we start labelling things and re- responding to our labels. Something labels something and we respond to the label. He's a terrorist. No longer a human being. We get a label and then we respond to the label. It's a Nama Rupa in in pragmatic terms. Yeah. And so this is we say this is the um operating system of Sangsara. So the first sections are about the fundamental operating system. And so this Naming and uh, responding to what we name, mm. and then then it starts off through the sense bases, external senses, sense media, and then contact impressions jump up, and feelings, craving, clinging, becoming, getting very much embedded in the world that Achitta has created through its designating. That's that. That's that. That's that. Yeah. Mm. And it's designating Nama is um, it's handy because instead of seeing something afresh, we see something as oh, that's Uncle, that's Uncle Joseph, or that's Sister Lee. Yeah, and then. Clearly that's a very fairly innocent one, but we can have all kinds of moods and emotions and attitudes and assumptions about that person that actually are history. They're not fresh, they're not real. And we, we lose the freshness and the immediacy of the person by just referring to the label. And particularly this label becomes the cook or the boss or, you know, in other words, a function. And we miss the chitta within that or that being and you so your relationship isn't heart to heart it's my responses to what I've just designated so you get very strange relationships you know you're designating me as the cook or something 
and I'm, 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 I don't see myself, I'm just this, you know, here I am feeling my joy and sorrow and pain and worry, whatever, and I'm being called a cook or a whatever, you know. Uh, and so then we, we miss each other, we miss the truth of each other through this naming, designating process. But it's easy. You don't have to really, don't have to touch people really, you just touch what you think of them. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> but it's also lazy and it's also stupid. <laughs> We're out of touch. We can live a lifetime never having actually met anyone apart from our own projections and impressions. And the gift of other people, the fret, there's chitters everywhere, hearts are everywhere. And we miss them through this process. And again, we miss ourselves because we end up doing the same thing to ourselves. I am this, I am that. And generally the naming, the designating ourself, what we designate ourselves of isn't very uh, celebratory. <laughs> it's generally kind of, okay, well, it's got to be a history in it. Here I am, somewhat pathetic. Here I am, one who doesn't fit in. Here I am try so hard but can't quite get things right, I'm not very good at this, I'm not, you know what I mean, that inner critic. And so then the heart is contracted into that particular shape. This is the process of becoming. We've become, we've become the unresolved aspects of our karma. We've become the unresolved aspects, my jealousy, my feeling of, of other people are better than me. And if I keep designating, emotionally designating my jitter in that way, I limit it to just to that's what it becomes. We become ourselves. <laughs> but nothing's, but it's a fake self. It's a, a, a create, self-created over certain emotional impressions we haven't actually been able to resolve yet. And we do it to others, you know. We feel like we were, we weren't we were very good parents, or we didn't look after our children very well, or and so on and so on. No, but this is this is the model based upon ignorance, at least the suffering. But it's not inevitable. If we were completely ignorant, we wouldn't even be aware of this. We'd just be completely in it believing it but we're not totally ignorant you know the Buddha said this is for those with a bit, bit of dust in their eyes when you've got a piece of dust in your eyes it feels pretty sharp and stings so it seems like all is there is that dust that grain of dust that sand grain but actually no you know but the attention goes to the hurt bit so you're going to kind of keep widening out of that narrow focus. Mm. This widening of attention is one of the uh, processes whereby we come out of the trance of our self-creation and the creation of other people. Just maybe so. Don't, not so sure. Feels like this, but I'm aware of this. And do I have to add more emotional intensity to this, could actually begin to relieve some of the emotional pain of that, heal, heal. Mm. 
And so, it's also to remember that you know, liberation itself is a dependently originated process. You know, and so, you know, and the two do, do link up. One of the kind of really quite salutary suttas in the book of the connected discourses, the book of the twelfth book, thirty third sutta, twenty third sutta. I've got it written down of the twelfth book of the connected discourses, where the Buddha goes through this sequence. He starts off talking about ignorance takes it all the way down, that line or that theme, down to uh, dukkha, suffering, stress, unsatisfactoriness. And he says then, with, with, with unsatisfactoriness as a, as a condition, there's the arising of faith. With dukkha as a condition, there's the arising of sadha. Now this isn't always the case. It depends. It's another way of looking at dependent origin. It all depends. But you know, we can either get, we can have dukkha and just lose faith and lose heart and feel totally shattered or something that's go, come on, got to get past this, got to rise up to this. Don't know how, but I've got to, I've got to open out of this. And I can open out of this. I can at least get perspective on it. Sadha. Mm. And giving oneself back some power, some authority over whether you're going to go into, whether the chitta's going to go into dukkha and keep grinding away in that pattern, keep embellishing and you know solidifying that pattern, or whether to go, this is suffering, and there's a cessation, and there's a withdrawal from that, a letting go of craving craving to not feel pain a craving to get rid of the uncomfortable a craving that things be utterly smooth and perfect but bear in mind without this suffering we wouldn't grow if everything was fine we'd just be coasting along sitting on sofas sitting on cushions <laughs> not caring for each other but because there is suffering it, and it, it kind of forces us or pushes us to grow strong broad kind, deeply compassionate deeply resolute and when you realise that there's a sense of gladness because you feel the potency that you didn't know you had to rise up against circumstances. So based upon sadha, there's pamoja, gladness. And if you dwell in it, breathe in it, it begins to be sort of quite quite deep rapture and leads to samadhi, tranquility, and uh, seeing things as they are. These are th- this is phenomena, no longer myself. Everybody gets this. Mm. We're in this collected world of birth. 
and though birth in general seems to get a rather negative um, press in Buddhist circles as being somewhat of a bit of a mistake. <laughs> it's also the opportunity to take responsibility. You know, birth is about being in a separate condition, isn't it? You know, I'm sealed in by my body. I am this body, not anybody else's body. This is what got born. Uh, yes, but when you recognize actually this body isn't that separate because it takes in air, it rests upon food and water and it's connected to mother, father. It's not as separate as it seems. But there's autonomy within this connected universe. I'm not just a passive lump. There's potency to move and change. I can walk in bodily terms. And also, in terms of citta, I'm not separate, but also I'm not just completely merged. There's a certain sense of, I have a choice. There's autonomy. I can at least take responsibility over which direction my mind goes in. Yeah. That's the opportunity of birth. So, to begin to realize one can take responsibility for where your mind, your heart goes. And that takes some skill, which is even the potential that one could. And training yourself so that your mind just doesn't go into these vortexes called asava, where self is the end of it, come forms self, and you get stuck. Instead, we go into this, something's definitely effect, responding, but instead it goes into the openness and understanding of the nature of dukkha and the nature of sentiency and taking responsibility for how we move within that. So it's not separate, but it's not merged. There's an autonomy which gives us the choice and increasingly the potential to adjust how we feel and what we bring into the world. This is exactly why, for example, the presence of a Tathagata, a Buddha or an Arahant, is an immense sign in the world. These are people who've got nothing, who are living in a world of sickness and death, who get sick and die themselves, often in miserable circumstances, like the Buddha did. You're dying under a tree with colic, wretched, broken down body, and yet the heart not going into misery and despair. In fact, serene. That's an example you know, of someone able to rightly steer, rightly handle their citta, and citta knows where to go. Seeing things as they are, so it's liberated by in this world by seeing the world as it is, including the world of one's own, one's own personal world, and then you come out of the dependent arising of dukkha to the dependent arising of liberation.
of course this is a whole process and it's not something you just sit down on a cushion and do sorry someone's asking a question here asava so someone's asking the word un narrow unskillful vortex is asava is the term um, and asava is something like a kind of a corruption or a, a disease uh, but it's experienced as a turbulence a welling up and you can look at these things in buddhist dictionaries they tend to give you rather kind of academic responses but as a, as a fellow experience it's welling up something wells up and you're thrown and uh, the mind is in this vortex and the, th the three fundamental forms is one is first of all thrown up in the vortex of sensuality like looking for sight sounds touches something to eat something to drink something to touch you know so we go out into that searching for comfort in that bhavasava searching to become something to get secure to have status to have personality to be liked to be pre-approved of to win other people's favor to you know all the stuff that human beings tend to do and why you know like does it ever get satisfied and are we just not the ask of ignorance just not is this welling up of these blurred responses yeah so that's that's the fundamental basis of reactivity and i'm saying we can clear that and come into responsiveness which is you know from what that more awakened perspective no don't go down there just turn that way and open out from that vortex into the whole kind of wide ocean of awareness with these ripples breaking across it now and i suppose we look at it even more sort of pragmatically and colloquially we come down you know to the kind of the nagging me sense that might come up as you meditate or on your day or when you're just going to bed or those moments you suddenly oh, i am this I'm, it's not even a thought it's an emotion of same old me stuck you know same old me never quite this thought can't or am not or something and this can have really a lot of history to it yeah me who's always got to do me who never can do enough me who doesn't get me who gets too much me who doesn't get enough of the good things me who can't i can't get my needs met i'm trying to find somebody to actually receive me and i can't get it done what's you know me who's left out so this is the afflicted me sense everybody's got one not just you <laughs> uh, because it's a piece of the territory of being born this form and something can kind of like you know rather than seeing that me sense isn't personal it's like a a pulling in to a old habit and getting perspective on that it's not that not that you need get rid of it but that we begin to sense that's a narrow like a a wound if you like 
in a healthy body. And let's kind of return to the wider picture and not go into that wound again. This is by not putting energy into that, the jitta goes less and less often into that place of lack, depletion, frustration. This is what I'm talking about. And gaining the responsibility and the potential to not go into these defeated places time and time again. Recognizing the sign and then that not rejecting it, standing back and it's like this, and then meeting that with a place with a mind of sympathy, compassion, because everybody gets this. So this is not just on the cushion, is it? And one of the features in the Buddha says, well, this requires, he used the word nourishment. Nourishment. So often we consider practice to be doing something, yes. But it's also, that is just about feeding. feeding because you can only do things in accordance with how well fed you are jitter can only really um, (laughs) steer when it's fed well when it's healthy or it's got some health in it so quite a bit of our practice is just or should be about cultivating food for the heart and rather humbly, um, you know, the Buddha says, well, in terms of feeding, the first thing to feed upon is just be with good people. You know, really be with, don't just kind of pass them by, but sit down with them, listen up to them, engage with good people, with people of integrity. So your chitta, because chitta is not, it doesn't live inside your body, it lives in relationship. So it begins to sense, oh, this is what it's like when there's just no, which is clarity and integrity and compassion and honesty and warmth. That's what that's like. Get it? And it begins to feed upon that, that right quality. So your first practice isn't really practice in the ordinary sense. It's opening and receiving the good. So it's very much opening up receptivity. It's not necessarily just enlightened people, but people of integrity and truthfulness. And you are straight, balanced. Jitta then picks that up. Oh, that's the sign. No, that's the sign. That's what you tune into. And it's in. It's also once you recognise another, you've got. Which if you can recognise, it's because you already have it, but you ignore it. You haven't fed it. So another person of integrity helps us to acknowledge our love of integrity. And 
the integrity we do have, but perhaps have not really checked in with. And the more we check in with it, the more it straightens us and gives us strength. This is how food works. The jitta can then amplify and feed itself upon skillful impressions and skillful signs. He also says, well, if you're with good people, the very strong likelihood is you're going to hear good dhamma. You're going to hear words that are wise, words that are free from blame, words that are worth listening to, words that are a treasure, words that go straight to the heart, words that gladden. You can see actions that model qualities you feel gladdened by. You feel, it's good to be a human. It's good dhamma. Not necessarily quoting suttas, but actually talking straight, talking free from gossip, nastiness, blame and foolishness. Mm. Um, So these then will give rise to faith. And this is where it starts. Rise to faith, you give careful attention. means you look, wait a minute, that's where it goes wrong. Looking at that doesn't do you any good. Give attention to this, that's, yeah. You see the possibility to stir, to steer your attention, you know, away from that which just grabs or thrusts itself into you. Give attention to that where where you're getting steadying, soothing, comforting, straightening signs. Give your attention to that, careful attention, rather than superficially caught up with this, that and the other. Which probably means a good amount of not attending to that which is pointless. This leads to is a, is a cause and condition for the arising of mindfulness and sampajano, contextual awareness. It means you're, you're both alert, attentive, dispassionate, but also reading the room. What's going on around here? What's the right occasion? Reading the situation. So you're internally straightened, but also open and sensing the territory around you. It could be physical, could be psychological territory. Other people could be aspects of yourself. You're looking at yourself in context, like this person's experiencing sadness and sickness, so now is not the time for this. Now is the time for that. So the clear sampajano, careful contextual awareness, uh, is indicating, giving you feedback in terms of what's suitable to give attention to, uh, what's suitable to, what's appropriate, what's purposeful. Mm. And this causes one to, by strengthening the heart, there's a turning away from sense contact as a source of, as a source of orientation. We don't live in a city or a town, we live in our hearts. Because, isn't that true? I mean, when you get it, you think, yeah, of course, yeah, I forgot. But, you know, so when you, wherever you walk, you take your heart with you. That's, how, that's, why, that's why you live there. You can't get out of it. Whereas the rest of it can fall down. Yeah, so you restrain the sense faculties, which telling you, you know, all these other things, these messages are, which are very impermanent, unreliable. So this is a condition for the support of the three kinds of good conduct, 
verbal contact, bodily contact, and conduct, and conduct of the mind, where the mind goes. And this leads to forming meditation. This leads to form, form medi- actual meditation practice as the satipatthana. Now we've got into something which actually, we sit, stand, walk with a particular frame of reference. I'm going to pin my mindfulness on a frame of reference rather than just on what's happening. You know, now I'm going to do something a little more formalized because this takes me out of circumstances into depth. Mm. Into depth. Now I'm going to look into the nature of feeling. What does what does feeling do? What is it? I know feeling is pleasant, unpleasant. What does it do? It moves, doesn't it? It changes. It, you, know, you start to look in depth and to the operating system itself, and that's what Satipatthana can help you to do. Because that operating system sends messages along a highway, highways in one's body and mind and now we're looking right into those highways and saying actually that one doesn't need to be there this one is very restricted this has become overgrown this also we can we can move out of that track so you begin to reset through for satipatthana and this is the way of relinquishing the hindrances and the enlightenment factors come up it's a deep clean and a reset of how we operate we are now in touch we awija ignorance has been dispelled we are now in touch with the reality of what's the basis of our sangsara not just in terms of details but in terms of a fundamental system that can be penetrated understood and moderated and even dismantled so there could be very open open territory rather than same old stuff time and time again this is all dependent (laughs) it's all dependent but the point is if you keep taking the right food it can only it can only get better you can't say do a week retreat you can't put time on it you can't say to a, a plant when you put the seed in the ground hurry up produce nuts produce fruit produce flowers come on i want it by march you can't say that but you can say if you put it there and keep nourishing it for sure it's going to grow yeah and so you have faith in process rather than the craving to have and become and that's the most sure source of faith because often this stuff takes us into some pretty difficult territory where we lose our faith we feel challenged we feel confused we feel losing it this is a chance to keep remembering on that dukkha remembering everyone gets this we step okay this is a test this is a test to see what I'm going to do this is another test to see when I'm being blamed or left out this is a test to see whether I'm going to go under into the old habits or whether I'm going to straighten up and say 
my real territory isn't is independent of that and that's where the heart becomes the leader rather than the passive victim of circumstance so offer this for your reflection this evening uh, today whatever time it is for you in your world in your chitta it's here and now same as it is in mine may you be well <laughs>